welcome to HB Media Minute, a podcast from Haynes and Boone that focuses on legal trends impacting the media and entertainment industry, intellectual property, and First Amendment law. I'm Nathan Koppel, the Director of Media Relations for Haynes Boone. Today, we'll follow up on a topic explored in an earlier podcast, police transparency, and particularly the First Amendment right to record police, and if that right to record is violated, the, the related ability to file a civil right lawsuit. Um we're going to, or excuse me, we're going to drill deeper into that topic today by focusing on a recent case out of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals involving the filming of police activity in Austin, Texas, and a civil rights claim that arose out of that uh, incident. And we've got Haynes and Boone Associate Michael Lambert joining us again. Uh, he's been a, a, a repeat and wonderful guest of HP Media Minute. Michael covered this important topic. Uh, in our prior podcast and will once again guide today's discussion on police and governmental transparency. As a reminder, Michael is based in our Austin office and is a member of the firm's IP practice group. He focuses on media, entertainment, IP, and First Amendment litigation. So we'll get going here in a minute, but first, the business of our disclaimer, this podcast is for informational purposes only, is not intended to be legal advice, and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. Michael, welcome back. Thank you, Nathan. Great to be here. Yeah, so let's, if you could kick us off today just by reminding us about the general state of law regarding the constitutional right to record police. Yeah, so as we previously discussed, uh, five out of the 13 federal appellate courts have held that the First Amendment protects the right to record the police when they're conducting their duties in public. But as long as you're doing that recording publicly as well, and you're not interfering with police um, when they're doing their job. And the Fifth Circuit, which which includes Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, is one of those circuits that have recognized the constitutional right to record the police. If if you're in one of the other circuits, what are the state of affairs there? Is it just much more of a gray area, I would guess, if you're recording police activity? Right, exactly. It's much more of a gray area. You would not be able to use um, a constitutional defense in all cases there if, say, you were recorded, um, if you were recording and you were arrested for that. So you're just less likely to have protections, but you still may, though. Um, In those circuits, the jurisprudence is mixed. So depending on what court or what court of of appeals you're in, that will be determinative on, on whether you know, you'll be able to prevail on a constitutional defense. And, and just as a general backdrop, I guess it seems to me we live in a society where where it's just become more common for people to, and people have the technology now where they can pull out a cell phone and uh, easily record police activity if they're so inclined. It's, it's just become a more common practice. Right. That's the thing. Everybody has it in their pocket now. You don't need to lug a big camera over your shoulder, you know, like the press used to do back in the day. Now everybody's a member of the press, right? And yeah, you yeah. record um, the police when you know when you're when you're in those circumstances, or or just um, or just otherwise. But it's something that anybody can easily do. It doesn't cost anything, right? And it's on your phone um, for a long time too, so it, it preserves over time. And I guess the tension here is we it, it does serve an important social interest. Uh, often, good to have transparency around the work that police do, but, but on the flip side, from the police perspective, I'm sure they sometimes feel like the recording of their activity can interfere with policing. So it's, I guess that's the, 
the the conflict that we that courts have to navigate. Yeah, that's definitely a tension. And the police, you know, um, it, you know, every police force will have their own policy usually on these things. But you can imagine, like you said, if you're if you're a member of the police and and you have somebody that's really disturbing you, either waving mm-hmm. their camera or, or or making other like verbal um, attacks on you while you are trying to do your job. I think that that crosses the line, you know, and that's something that we will discuss. But um, generally, the courts have held that you have the right to record police as long as you're not disturbing them um, and interrupting them in their job. Now, the question of what that exactly means is um, subject to debate and would be, you know, a fact question in a particular case. But um, that's just the general principle. So to the extent you're in a jurisdiction that has recognize a constitutional right to record police and that right is 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 violated uh police says sorry takes takes someone's phone or says you can't record what recourse would someone have in in that kind of situation yeah so it's not a straightforward answer because while there is a remedy for civil rights violations there also is a very strong defense against these claims which we'll talk about you know so the federal civil rights act allows individuals to sue anybody um, who has violated a constitutional right if that person was acting on behalf of the government. And claims under the Civil Rights Act are typically referred to as 1983 claims. You may have heard that before. Um, And that's because they're codified in Section 1983 of the U.S. Code. And while 1983 actions are brought under various constitutional provisions, a First Amendment 1983 claim is typically brought when the government retaliates against an individual because of his or her speech. But there is a big hurdle in succeeding on this 1983 claim, and it's the defense of qualified immunity. But the attention behind qualified immunity is to shield state and local government officials from liability when they act in good faith. But in practice, it has made succeeding in a civil rights case really difficult. Because a person bringing a 1983 claim will only prevail and defeat a qualified immunity defense if the official violated what's considered to be a quote-unquote clearly established statutory or constitutional right at the time of the conduct. So what that means is the conduct must have violated the Constitution under those specific facts and the right must have been clearly established at the time of the conduct. Now, over the years, the Supreme Court has developed an expansive view of qualified immunity, and that's left those bringing 1983 claims with a steep burden of showing that the conduct at issue violated clearly established law. And courts have explained that a law is considered to be clearly established if prior courts have clearly defined the established right with sufficient particularity as applied to the specific facts in that case. You know, one court described it um, by saying that a court, the law, a law is clearly established if the contours of the right is sufficiently clear so that a reasonable official would understand that what he or her is doing violates that particular right. So if you bring a 1983 claim, uh, the defendant asserts a qualified immediate defense. I mean, you're looking as the plaintiff, you're looking at a pretty high burden of proof there. Yes, absolutely. And it's been interpreted over time by the Supreme Court and by federal circuits. Um, So it can vary circuit to circuit. 
um, with different standards, but it, it's pretty uniformly a, a difficult burden to prove. Yeah, and, and Michael, is there fact finding that goes into or a determination that needs to be made uh, before as to whether someone can invoke that defense? Or is that if you're a governmental actor, you're allowed to automatically assert an immunity defense? You're allowed to assert the qualified immunity defense if you were acting within the scope of your of your um, official duties. So that will be a question in some cases, right? If, if you're doing something that you're and you're off the clock and you're not doing it in your governmental capacity, you may not be able to assert uh, qualified immunity See, in those cases. You, you might imagine it. Uh, uh, a police officer off hours just dressed in civilian clothes may have a harder time claiming a qualified immunity defense, for example. Right. But okay. keep in mind that somebody could not likely file a 1983 claim against that person because it's only 1983 claims in the Constitution, right, only apply to government officials. I see. Okay. So something to keep in mind on both sides. Well, let's turn to this. There's a recent Fifth Circuit case, which I want to hear about. And um, I think it was Bueller versus Deer, if I have the name right. Um, it addressed a 1983 claim and a qualified immunity uh, defense. Uh, can you tell us about the facts of the case? Yeah. So this case involved a, involved a man named Antonio Bueller. Uh, he's the leader of the Peaceful Streets Project, which is a watchdog group in Austin. And they aim to hold police accountable uh, for official misconduct. And one of the things that they do as part of their mission is they often record police activity in and around Austin. So in August 2015, Bueller was recording police on 6th Street when he had an altercation with an Austin police officer. And, and Michael, let me just jump in. For, for those sure. who don't know, 6th Street is, I guess maybe you'd say like our... Our Bourbon Street, it's, a, it's an area where there's a lot of bars, probably a disproportionate amount of, of rowdiness and police activity in Austin. Right, exactly. So this is not, a, you know, in the in a back or in a rural area where there aren't a lot of people. This is in a busy, um, a busy area. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. So go ahead. No, no problem. Uh, so Bueller was recording police on 6th Street and he had an altercation with an officer. His name was Randy Deere. Um, Randy Deere was patrolling the area at the time. And the discussion between the two got heated and they started arguing about Bueller recording the officer. Uh, officer Deere did not like him, Bueller recording him. Mm -hmm. And as this argument continued, Bueller got closer and closer to Officer Deere and ended up getting as close as one to two feet of the officer while recording him. And the officer told Bueller, hey, you're going to be arrested if you do not at least stay an arm's length distance away from me so I can perform my duties here, right? But Bueller did not comply with this demand, and he was arrested for misdemeanor interference with the performance of official duties. And in the in the interim part of him actually being arrested, um, he sustained minor bruises and lesions um, during that arrest, Mr. Bueller did. And did he file, I, I, pr I presume, obviously, he, he filed a lawsuit at some point after his arrest. Exactly, right. So he sued the city of Austin and nine members of the Austin PD uh, for various civil rights violations, uh, including Fourth Amendment violations. But um, pertinent to our conversation, he filed a First Amendment retaliation claim for, for being arrested in response to him filming the officer. And this found its way to the Fifth Circuit, the First Amendment claim? Exactly. Right. What was, what was the specific legal question before the Fifth Circuit then? 
So these officers asserted the defense we've been talking about was qualified immunity. So the question for the court was whether the officer violated a clearly established constitutional right when he arrested Bueller for his filming. And the Fritz circuit held it as no. They answered the question no, holding that even though the First Amendment guarantees a right to publicly film police, that right was not clearly established at the time of the incident, which was in August of 2015. Now, it's important to note that in August in 2017, the Fifth Circuit previously held in a case called Turner versus Lieutenant that the First Amendment right to record police was not clearly established in September 2015, which was the month following Bueller's August 2015 arrest. So because the right to record wasn't clearly established, according to the Fifth Circuit, at the time of um Officer Deer's conduct and the other officer's conduct, the mm-hmm. court affirmed the dismissal of Bueller's 1983 claim on qualified immunity grounds. Let me ask you, let's assume this same incident took place last weekend. And and um, I presume now we do have a clearly established right in Austin in the Fifth Circuit to record police. Same thing happens. Um, I mean, could the case, is it a, is it a, clearer win for Bueller or could there still be an issue because here we have the police saying, well, this person was getting uncomfortably close to that. He was interfering with police activity. Would that be kind of more the focus do you think of, of, of analysis rather than this sort of threshold issue that caused the dismissal of the case in Bueller? Yeah, there would, it would be a lot more fact specific and doing an analysis of the, of the facts of the situation. But one thing to keep in mind is that the standard is that the um, the particular constitutional right must be clearly established under those particular circumstances. Huh. So the facts of those particular circumstances are going to be very important in that case. Can you say a little bit more about that? Are, are the is it the types of circumstances which might be more clear to clearly allow a right to record? I mean, I let's just using this example out in public on Sixth Street. I would think that would be a pretty clear place you could record police activity. Yeah, I'd say so. But you have to ask yourself other questions, right? You want to know, well, are you public? Is, is your camera out publicly? Right? Are you publicly recording the police? Are you staying uh, a fair length away? Which mm-hmm. there is no set standard on what the fair length is going to be, right? Um are you doing other things to distract the officers? Maybe you're yelling, maybe you're waving your hands. So those are all going to questions that are going to be asked. And unfortunately, you know, the court hasn't given us that, that much color on that. The Fifth Circuit hasn't really defined what um, the contours of that right. And that's one of the problems. And that sort of leaves um, people kind of not knowing whether a particular conduct that they may want to engage in, um, if they have if they have that right under the First Amendment, and if that right is violated, whether they'll be actually be able to bring a successful 1983 claim. Yeah. Um, it seems really all in all, Bueller was a relatively easy case. The court found that there wasn't a clearly established right to record. But for the reasons you explain, these things could, cases could get very, very complicated, very fact intensive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this, this, there's definitely more to come in this area. Um, there'll definitely be more Fifth Circuit opinions and, a, and opinions from other circuits 
sort of putting more meat on the bones of what this right exactly is um, defined as and, and what is allowed and what isn't. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what do you see as the key takeaways from the Bueller case? You know, sort of as I was mentioning, you know, unfortunately, it just leaves people guessing uh, what type of recording conduct is protected and whether they can bring um, a 1983 claim. Um, so it's, it's sort of one of those, we'll, we'll, we're going to have to wait and see. And I know that's not really, um, <laughs> it doesn't make people feel good about, um, about it, but that's just the state of the law right now. And, and hopefully that will happen over time because like we discussed, people are reporting the police a lot more than they used to. Mm -hmm. So these cases are coming up a lot more frequently than they did. So I like to think in the near future, we'll have a little bit more of an understanding of, of where the line is. Uh, yeah, I would expect there. I would expect to be that, that there's going to be a lot of jurisprudence around this uh, in the years to come. Um, so so far, and I'll end with this. You've, we've been talking about the recording of state and local government officials, uh, state and local police. What about federal officials? What if you were to re can you can you record, say, I don't know, a member of the U.S. Customs Department or um, FBI or federal? police uh, officers? Yeah, it's actually a really great question and a very timely one, um, because actually this term, um, this U.S. Supreme Court is actually considering whether a First Amendment claim can be brought against a federal official in the case is called Egbert versus Boulay. And the question in the case is whether an individual can file a 1983 civil rights claim against federal officials for First Amendment violations. And believe it or not, up until now, the Supreme Court has only allowed a limited number of 1983 claims to be brought against federal officials. And these actions are called Biven actions. And that comes from a case called Bivens uh, versus six unknown named agents. And so far, Bivens claims have only been recognized under the Fourth, Fifth and Eighth Amendments. And now the court is, is going to decide whether to allow a First Amendment Bivens claim against federal officers. An oral argument was held in this case um, in March 2020. So we expect the court to uh, issue an opinion, you know, in a few months by June, likely this summer. And what was the name of that case, Michael, or the, the Supreme Court case? It was Egbert versus Boulay. Great. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye out and hopefully have you back maybe to tell us how that uh, turned out. Well, Michael, thank, yeah, Michael, thank you so much. Again, just a great topic, really important. Uh, and one, like we say, that we expect to see a lot, a lot more of. Before we sign off, I want to invite listeners to visit the firm's website at HanesBoone.com, where you'll find the firm's media and entertainment litigation practice page, which contains links to our media, entertainment, and First Amendment newsletter and to all of our Media Minute podcast, as well as other great content. Um, so please do check that out. And I hope you will tune in for future Media Minute podcasts. Thanks and take care.